so we can all recognize this as worship. But what about this, or this, or this, or even this? Yeah, that's worship too. I mean, because worship, we see it expressed all the time. Everybody, all over the world, we all do it. Whether it's our favorite sports team, a cause, a lover, our favorite artist, even nature, the sun, the moon, and the stars, our jobs, and our wealth, and yes, even to God. We all do it. The question is not whether we worship, but what and how we worship. And this should come as no surprise to any of us because God made us this way. We were created for worship. The Bible says that he has set eternity in the hearts of men. We search for more. We look for purpose and meaning. We long to worship something, someone. But how do we as followers of Christ ensure that our worship is not what God describes as useless fires on my altar, but true, proper, acceptable, great worship? Well, good morning, Messiah. It's good to be back with you here today. Um, I thought this morning would be an interesting time to do something. Some of you guys know that I married into a family. My wife's family owns a lavender farm out in Wright City. And so this morning, uh, I want to invite a friend up to come give you an example and show you what it looks like to plant some lavender. So I invited my friend Audrey to join us this morning, and she is going to plant some lavender with us. So Audrey, here's the situation. You've got your lavender bud here. You've got your planter here. And here you've got three things. You've got water, you've got soil, and you've got rocks. And you have to decide what needs to go into that planter with the lavender bud. Okay. What do you think needs to go in? Um, probably some soil. Okay, throw some soil in. Cool. Anything else need to go in there? Okay, let's do that. Throw it in there. That, you do need that to go in there. Okay. Anything else need to go in there? Some water. Okay, throw it in. Awesome. Cool. How do you feel about that? You feel good about that? Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, you just killed the lavender plant, so well done. Good job. Um, Jim and uh, guys, why don't you come on and take this off stage real quick for us. Uh, Audrey, you have no idea. Audrey didn't know what she was coming up here to do, so we're going to give her a little bit of a break today. But well done. Good job killing some plants. Um, you're probably wondering, what in the world did Audrey do wrong? Because that's what you do, right? And the funny thing about lavender, though, is that it's a very quirky plant, and it requires a couple of unique things. First off, it likes rocky, airy soil. So if you'd thrown the rocks in there, that would have been a good decision. And second, it doesn't like a lot of water. And so you put a, maybe you put a little bit of water in there, but throwing the whole thing in there just really would have done too much. And so if you uh, think about it, Missouri's actually not a great place to grow lavender because our soil's very rich. We get a lot of rain. And even my dad, right, he, he lives out in North Carolina. He's had a hard time growing it, and it's because... He's planting it in soil that's too rich and too fine, and he's watering it way too much. And so I think something I've learned from having a family with a farm is that if you want to grow good, healthy plants, 
you've got to plant them the right way and you've got to plant them in the right place. Because if you don't do that, if you don't plant your plants the right way and in the right plants, right, the right place, if you don't give each plant the proper care that it needs, it's just gonna suffer, it's gonna struggle, and it's just not gonna grow. I've actually had the chance myself to plant some lavender on their farm, and what you do, what happens when you engage in that practice of planting is you realize that a farm, a lavender farm, is not just one field with a bunch of plants in it, with a bunch of bushes in it. A lavender farm is hundreds of individually planted buds, each one cared for, each one tended to the way it needs to be tended, and that's what gives you a farm. And so you could say that the quality of the whole farm depends on the growth of each individual plant. Which brings us to our series today. We're in this series here at Messiah all about worship. And I think we should start with a good definition of what worship is, right? If we're gonna talk about it, what is it? I think a good example comes from Adele Calhoun, who wrote a book on spiritual disciplines. And she defines worship as something that happens when we intentionally cherish and value God above all else. It's what happens when we intentionally cherish and value God above all else. Calhoun continues and says that it's a practice where we seek God first and keep other things second. And so to worship God to worship means to create time and space where we set aside everything else and focus on God, where we set aside less important things and focus on the most important thing. And to live a worshipful life means that God is not just a priority, but God is the priority. Because we worship whatever it is that we prioritize. We worship whatever it is that is the most important. And so if we want to worship God, God can't just be a priority, he's got to be the priority. Church, we think about a crowd of people gathered together in a building for a Sunday morning worship service. And that image, that is an accurate image of worship, that is an accurate image of the church. But the church is not just a mass of people gathered together in a room, that's not all that the church is. A church is dozens or hundreds or thousands of individual people, each one with their own stories, each one with their own habits, each one's with their own life. And I think that just the same way that you can gauge the value and the quality of a farm by the quality and the growth of each individual plant, you can, you can measure a church by the growth of each individual person, the quality of the church by each individual person. And what that says to me is that what I want you to know is that every one of you matters to Messiah. Every one of you plays a role in creating the culture that is Messiah St. Charles. Every one of you plays a part in making this place what it is. And so, yes, the church is the crowd. The church is a group of people, but the church is also you. And scripture actually speaks the same way, right? When you go to the Old Testament, you see time and time again, God will have moments where he speaks to entire crowds and entire nations, and moments where God zooms in and speaks to just one person about their role in their life in that nation. In the New Testament, same thing. Paul will devote entire letters to, to a whole church or to a whole city, and he'll devote entire letters just to one person about their role in that church or their role in that city. 
Scripture is this big back and forth rhythm between God's words for the people and God's words for the person. And they're not necessarily different words. They're just directed to two different groups of people. Which tells me that in God's eyes, the worship of the individual matters as much as the worship of the crowd. And so if we're going to talk about getting personal today, I I think we need to dig into the personal side of Scripture. And if we are a room full of me's, if we are a room full of me's, then God's got something to say not just about how we worship, but God's got something to say about how I worship. And if Messiah is a collection of hundreds of individual lives of worship, then our witness isn't just formed by what we do, our witness is formed by what I do, and it's formed by what you do. So I want to dig into that personal side of Scripture, of what God says to you. And what God says to you about your worship. And when you want to get personal in Scripture, I think the best place to start is always the Psalms. That's where I go to. Martin Luther, during his life, uh, would read through the Psalms seven times a day. And so he'd get through the Psalms every two weeks, and at the end of those two weeks, guess what? He'd start them all over again. That's how fulfilling he found that book. And Jesus, actually, during his ministry, what you see in the Gospels is Jesus quotes the book of Psalms more than he quotes any other book. And in moments where he and his disciples sing hymns, right, you'll see these passages where it says Jesus and his disciples sung a hymn, or they're singing hymns that come from the book of Psalms. And so what you're reading when you read the Psalms is you're reading Jesus' worship book. You're reading the disciples' worship book. And so if we're doing a series on worship, we've got to look at this book. We've got to look at this worship book. And here's how this worship book begins. Psalm 1, verse 1, beginning of the book, says this. Blessed is the person who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. So what we see at the very beginning of Jesus' worship book is that before we're given an image of what worship looks like for the crowd, we're given an image of what worship looks like for the person. The book of Psalms opens by talking about personal worship, your worship, your habits, your life, your attitudes. And so that's where we're going to go today. And what the Bible says, what Psalm 1 says is that personal worship happens when you devote time and space to God through reading his word, through prayer, through reflecting on what God says to you, and through practicing what his word says. That is what personal worship looks like. And it says that when you do that, you will be blessed. And I think it's that word blessed, that opening line right there that says, blessed is the person who does these things. I think that gives us an understanding of why we should practice personal worship. We do it because it benefits us. You do it because it benefits you. I do it because it benefits me. I spend personal time with God. I spend time in his word reflecting on it and praying to him because it blesses me, because it's good for me, right? And if God made you, if God formed you in your inmost being, if God knows you better than he knows anyone, then I think God knows something about what's good for you. And he says that it's good for you to spend personal time 
setting aside everything else, setting aside secondary things, and focusing solely on him. Just you, just him. Now, I realize that this encouragement to personal worship, uh, it sounds like another thing to put on our to-do lists, and we love to-do lists, don't we? And you guys just want more things to put on your to-do list, don't you? I'm going to see, how many of you here want just, I just don't have enough to do in my life. Okay, good thing we're honest, all right? So this encouragement to personal worship sounds like, great, another thing I got to do. And I think what makes us suspicious is that all the areas of life that give us to-do lists, right? We've got to-do lists at home. We've got to-do lists at work. We've got to-do lists that we give ourselves, We've got to-do lists at our schools. We've got to-do lists at our clubs. We've got to-do lists at our sports teams that we're involved in. We've got plenty of people telling us to do things. And I think what makes us a little bit suspicious of adding something else or of hearing someone tell us to do something is that most of those to-do lists feel like they take away a lot more than they give back. And it feels like we live at such a pace of life where we spend so much time feeding other people that we miss out on the chance to feed ourselves. Doing more means feeding others and missing out for myself. And so here God is saying and giving me something to do, and so you might be a little bit suspicious. But look at what God's promise is here. That promise he gives us in Psalm 1, 1 to 2. It says that when we worship when we engage in personal time with God, that's actually something that gives back to you. You engage in personal worship because it feeds you in a life that feels so filled up with feeding others. That's where you find your growth and that's where you find your strength. And this image of personal worship being something that feeds us, this is actually where the writer of Psalm 1 continues. He goes on with this imagery a personal worship feeding us. He says, that person, so the, the person who delights and meditates on the law of the Lord, the person who engages in personal worship, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. So good news, if you didn't get enough plant imagery at the beginning of the sermon, we've got more plant imagery for you now. Uh, but remember what I said at the beginning, right? That growth requires being planted in the right way and in the right place. And the Bible uses this imagery so many times where it compares uh, plants and their growth to you and me and our own personal growth. And the language it uses here, if you could put it back on the screen, please. The language it uses here in Psalm 1-3 is that living a life of personal worship, someone who practices it, that they're like a tree planted by streams of water. Unfortunately, this image doesn't actually work very well here in Missouri because you step outside here in Missouri and everything's already green. Trees grow everywhere in Missouri. Okay, I got 50 of them in my backyard and I got no streams nearby. Okay, we don't have a problem growing trees in this state. But remember that the Bible wasn't written in Missouri, it wasn't even written in America, it was written in Israel. And in Israel, this image has a completely different meaning and a completely different understanding. My wife actually had the chance to go to Israel a few years ago, and she was telling me how most of the country is just this stark, 
barren, dry landscape where nothing grows. And you can kind of see in that picture there. She took this picture here near the Dead Sea. You can see that in the background. Uh, but most of the country is just this dry, brown landscape where nothing grows. You can think of the landscape of Israel kind of like the American diet, okay? Not a lot of green stuff, not enough water, not very healthy looking, okay? That's Israel. But you'll notice, if you could put the image back up, please, yeah, what's that right there at the bottom? In the very bottom right there, you got that little patch of green in that valley. You got some trees growing down there, and what you don't see beneath those trees is there's a stream running right through those, right through those trees. Right? That is the only place where anything is going to grow. Now, you've got some palm trees, right? I realize there's some palm trees at the top in that park, okay? Probably planted by the Dead Sea Tourism Board or something, okay? But if you're going to grow something in Israel, you've got to plant it right there next to that stream. Right there is the only place it's going to thrive. And this is the kind of contrast that Psalm 1 wants us to have in mind when we think about what it looks like to have a life of personal worship and a life without personal worship. Because a tree that is planted too far from that stream of water is just not going to grow. And if we are planted too far from the presence of God, if we are not engaging in a life of personal worship, then we're just not going to grow either. And there's lots of places we might think are good to plant ourselves. There's lots of good things we might think we should worship, right? Because remember, worship means to place something at the top and to give that thing the most importance. And so for some of us, Maybe it's our money that we worship and place at the top. It could be our success. It could be our pursuits. It could be your, your own desires. It could be something you're pursuing at school. It could be your friendships. It could be any number of things that we want to worship and put above God. Well, we shouldn't be surprised if that's where we plant ourselves. We shouldn't be surprised that if we plant ourselves away from the streams of water, why we feel so exhausted, burnt out, and like we just don't have enough. Planting yourself in the wrong place will always leave you feeling like you don't have enough. But planting yourself in the right place, planting yourself in the presence of God, planting yourself in personal worship, that's how you grow. That's what gives you life. And look at the benefits of what having life gives you. Could you put the passage back up, verse 3? Look at what verse 3 says. It says that when you live a life of personal worship, you grow and you bear fruit. Bearing fruit, right, that's a sign of something. A tree that is bearing good fruit is a tree that is healthy. It's a tree that's thriving. It's a tree that has roots that dig down deep so that when the storms come and try to knock it over, that tree stands strong because it's healthy. It's thriving and it's planted in the right place. And think about what else a healthy fruit-bearing tree means. A tree doesn't just bear fruit for its own sake. A tree that bears fruit is able to feed others. A tree that bears fruit is a tree that's able to be what others need. Because if you're a, an ancient traveler in ancient Israel, and you come upon a healthy fruit-bearing tree in this kind of environment, that's the tree that you're going to want to spend some time around. That's the tree that you're going to find some rest in. That's the tree where you're going to find food and strength for the rest of your journey. And so this is the image that Psalm 1 wants us to have in mind when we think about personal worship. 
Spending time with God is something that feeds and strengthens us so that we can be fed to strengthen others. That's what I think God wants us to learn from Psalm 1, from from Jesus' worship book at the very beginning. What he wants us to learn is that if you want to be the kind of parent that your kids need, if you want to be the kind of spouse that your spouse needs, if you want to feel healthy yourself, healthy and strong yourself so that you can be healthy and strong for others, it all starts with your personal worship and personal time with the presence of God. If you want to be the kind of coworker that others find joy and refreshment by being around, there's plenty of people that we work with that are exhausting to be around, plenty of people that we work with that we would rather avoid. Well, if you want to be the kind of coworker that people find refreshment in being around, it starts with walking in the ways of God in your own life. If you want to be the kind of community group leader that your group needs, the kind of next-gen small group leader that your, your youth or your kids need, if you want to be the kind of teacher that your students need, it starts with you being fed through the presence of God so that you can feed others. What I said at the beginning, that each one of you matters to the mission of this church, this is what I'm talking about. Because you know what, your neighbors don't really know anything about Messiah. The people in your neighborhood probably have never heard of Messiah St. Charles, but they do know you. And they don't see Pastor Jim's life, but they do see your life. And your kids don't see how I worship God at home. They don't see how Pastor Jim worships God at home, but they do see how you worship God. And if we were to become a church, right, imagine if Messiah became a church filled with hundreds of people, each one of them planted next to the streams of water in God's presence, each one of them growing and healthy for themselves and healthy for other people. I mean, if that's the kind of church we were to be, how could we not be the kind of church that St. Charles needs us to be? How could we not be a church that is for your neighbors? So yes, worship is for everyone, but man, worship is so much better when it's for you. And here we remember the beginning of Psalm 1, that God calls us into this life of personal worship because he wants to bless us. When you engage in life-giving worship personally, it becomes life-giving worship for the community. And so God's not trying to give us more to put on our to-do list He's not giving us a command to do more. He's giving us an invitation to be restored. God's not giving us a task that needs to be accomplished through personal worship. He's inviting us to find life from the one who gave us life. A lot of people spend time uh, reflecting on images in their time of personal worship. I've met people who spend time reflecting on art And we kind of did that in this last series, right, where we reflected on some pieces of art. And one of those most popular pieces of art that people look at are always paintings of Jesus. People just love looking at pictures of Jesus. And I think that's because they want to be reminded that the one who promises them food, the one who promises to feed them in this life, is the same one who's promised to feed them in the next life. 
And if you can trust him with that, if you can trust him to provide for you there, you know that you can trust him to provide for you here. Before he, he left, before he went to the cross, uh, Jesus was speaking to his disciples about what we're talking about today. He was talking to them about their life of personal worship and what they're gonna do when he's gone. They've been so used to having Jesus around them, now they're like, how do we connect with you now that you're, you're gonna die and you're gonna send to do all this stuff, right? Here's what he told them. He said, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. It must remain connected to the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus didn't come to give us a bigger to-do list. He came so that we would have joy. And what Jesus says is that you will always and only find your joy when you find your joy in him. You will grow when you plant yourself with him. And so if you're ready to feel fed, if you're ready to feel like you've got the strength you need to, to be yourself, to stand strong on your own, and you're ready to have the strength to be what the people around you need, and you're feeling like God might be calling you to a life of personal worship or to practices of personal worship, I'll give you the question that I always ask myself when I feel like God is encouraging me to deeper personal worship. It's this question, what needs to go? I think that in our culture, the thing that always gets in the way that I can let go of to make time for the things that are life-giving. Now, I can't answer that question for you. I know what that question looks like in my own home. Maybe in your home, it's, it's a classic uh, Netflix example. Maybe it's your phone usage. Maybe you've signed up to be involved in just a few too many clubs, or you've signed your kids up to be involved in a few too many things, and now they're overwhelmed and you're overwhelmed. I get it, parents. I work with kids, okay? Only you know what these things are in your life. But what can I let go of that is life-draining to make time for the things that are life-giving? And I'll tell you what, as hard as that question might be, as hard as it might be to let go of some things, you will never regret letting go of the things that drain life to make time for the one who gives you life.